Hello, and welcome back to the History Attic Podcast. I'm Abigail, I'm your host, and this episode is all about John Andre, and so we're taking a little bit of a different focus this episode and focusing on British um, intelligence and a little bit of the British side of the Revolutionary War. Um, And next episode, we're going to focus on Benedict Arnold's part in this story. So this will be the John Andre part of the story. The next episode will be Benedict Arnold's. So it's kind of like a part one and part two, different sides of one story. Super interesting. Um, If this is your first time listening with us, welcome to the podcast. I hope you like it. Um, make sure to go check out our Instagram page, which is the History Attic Podcast. Go type that on Instagram. We'll come up. We'll come up every other Tuesday. We have um, trivia that you can do based on that week's episode. And if you ever miss any trivia, it's all saved for you in the highlights. Just go t- check on them. You can do it yourself. See if you get them all right. Um, also, go to our website. It's linked in the bio on our Instagram page. But if you don't have Instagram, it is historyatticpodcast.wixsite.com slash FAP. FAP is T-H-A-P. Once again, it's historyatticpodcast.wixsite.com slash FAP. That's, that's all my infos. Um, this is the third episode of the second season. So crazy. If you have any ideas for what you want the third season to be, let me know because I'm currently floating a few ideas around of what I see happening. I don't know. Um, if you haven't already gone and checked it out, we have some blog posts up on our website. Last week's po- last week's post was on Caleb Brewster, one of the Culpering spies. Next week's post will be on Old North Bridge. I recently made a visit there. So I'll be including some photos that I took the bridge, which is just a, um, it's actually just a reconstructed bridge. It's not the original bridge. That's, that is gone, but, um, it's all still there. The, the house is still there. You can go visit that if you want, if you have time. Pretty cool. But like I said, this is John Andre's story. Um, if you're a returning listener, thank you for returning. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. So let's get into it. So before I start with John Andre's background and stuff, um, I want to say two things. I found, I believe it's Andre's journal. He kept a very detailed journal while he was um, in the army. And that's online. So I will include a link for that um, either on Instagram or somewhere on the website. I'll link that in for you guys because that's pretty cool. But when I was doing my research, I found this, one of this websites called battlefields.org and wrote this and it said, while Benedict Arnold is the best known traitor in American history and lived, Arnold's British confidant and accomplice in the plot to turn the American garrison at West Point over to the British, Major John Andre, was not so fortunate. Andre lost his life on the gallows, executed as a spy. So these are two very different stories because Andre um, was well-respected and he was supposed to be, he was General Clinton's right-hand man. He was supposed to become the next general. Benedict was kind of a cast-off. But these two episodes, they're going to be really interesting. They're going to be really fun. 
And so let's get into John Andre's story. Woo! So John was born May 2nd, 1750 in London to his father, who was a merchant from Geneva, Switzerland, and his mother um, was from Paris. But his mother moved to England at a pretty young age from France. And his parents are French Protestants, otherwise known as Huguenots. So prior to attending school in Geneva, he had studied in England at St. Paul's and Westminster School. He returned to London two years before his father died, um, unfortunately, in 1767. So Andre was notably fluent in many languages, including French, German, Italian, and English. This is common in Europe to be fluent in like in many languages. Here in America, I mean, like, we just, our fluency in multiple languages, it's just non-existent. Everybody knows about English, or, um, like, there's some people who are immigrants, and of course they speak different languages, but if you're born here, um, you, you usually, you, many people in this country do not know two languages, um, but this was, of course, the custom at the time to, you know, um, Especially in Europe, no multiple languages. I say he's like a Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg, he knows like, I want to say nine languages. Very talented guy. But his parents are wealthy, and as an adolescent, Andre enjoyed painting, he enjoyed playing the flute, and he would like to write poems and plays, and he would act in the plays for his family. He was really like an artistic person. Um... When you think, when I think of Andre, I don't necessarily say, yeah, he's a totally a military general. I typically think of him being like the, um, he reminds me of somebody that would be in the royal court. He doesn't at all strike me as somebody who would be a military general or even go after that, but he did. Um, so from an early age, the glamour and respect that the British military could offer was of interest, was of many interests to Andre. At that time, if you were an officer in the British Army or the British Navy, you were like, people liked you. You were pretty cool. You were um, pretty well respected, of course, in your community and um, even in the English courts. But Andre was of the merchant class, so it would be of a challenge for him be able to advance in the British Army, which is basically a purchase system. If you wanted to be a major in the British Army, you're going to have to buy that. It was very, very difficult for you to um, just work your way up. That wasn't how it worked. Um, this was, The classes in the 1700s Britain kind of went like this. At the top, you had the royal family, and then you had um, below that was aristocracy, the House of Lords members or barons earls, dukes, and then below that is somebody who is knighted. Um, and this, of course, includes many military officers. Then below that is Andre's class, the merchants or lawyers. They were respected, but they were kind of just, you were just, you were middle class. You weren't anything extraordinary, but you weren't poor, if that makes sense. Then below that is clergy, and then farm owners or tradesmen, and way at the bottom is a laborer, or a servant. And at this time, um, slavery was still was still legal in England. It wasn't illegal until the mid-1800s. So, with his father's death in 1769, Andre began focusing on the family more. And he said, I need to financially provide for my family. But I like to paint. I like to draw. I like to sing. I like to play the flute. 
these weren't really, like, things that he could, like, go out and make a career out of. So, he need, he was starting to look around at his options. And he didn't want to be a merchant. And he was also dealing with his father's death at the same time. It was just a really personal time for him and a big piece that really inspired what he was doing in the military later. So in 1769, right after his father's death, he started courting Honora Snide. Honora was a writer and was mainly known for her associations, 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 sorry, with literary figures of the day. Um, she was kind of like a Louisa May Alcott where she kind of just hung out with like all these really famous thinkers and um, authors and people who just really excelled in arts. Louisa May Alcott, if you don't, if you aren't familiar with um, what she kind of did, she was friends with um, Henry David Thoreau, with Emerson. She was just the talk of, she was the talk of Boston. She was from Concord, Massachusetts. Um, and a lot of famous um, writers are from Concord in the 1800s. So go look it up. But um, Honora was the foster sister of Anna Seward, and, um, Anna was a member of the Lunar Society, which Honora was heavily associated with, and she started improving children's education called practical education. Honora was kind of, she liked, she liked the idea of a lot of things, however, she didn't like to do things, and so she told John Andre, she was like, oh my gosh, I love you, I want to get married to you. Um, and they were informally engaged, and so Andre was like, this is awesome, she's rich, I'm gonna get some money, I like her too, and so after some deliberation, you know, he was trying to get the official, like, hand of marriage from her, from her guardian, um, Honora said, you know what, yeah, I don't like you anymore, so Andre was out of luck, Andre was like, okay, not only is my heart broken, not only is my means of income now lost, I'm starting from square one. He he had worked his way up and he was networking and it was getting good. Now he's back at square one because Honora was all over the place. Honora later married another man. I believe he was Irish and they lived on his estate for a while. However, she unfortunately died of tuberculosis in 1780. Um, which is when Andre died, so. Fun fact there. But her sister, her foster sister, Anna Seward, the poet, and foster sister of Nora had asserted that Andre finally decided to join the army after the breakup due to a broken heart. So he was like, you know what? Whatever. I don't care anymore. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to join the army. And that's what he did because there wasn't many options at this time. And, and things were brewing over in the colonies. You know, things were, things were kicking up over there. The day was March 4th, 1771. Andre officially signed up to join the British military, and he was sent to Germany for selective training where he spent two years. So the Hessians, the, the Germans rather, um, they called them the Hessians, were allies of the British, and the Hessians actually went over to continental America, so the colonies, and helped fight um, on the British side for the Revolutionary War, um, they were basically the British, um, counterpart for the French. The French came and helped the Americans, the Germans went and helped the British. Needless to say, Britain did lose, 
as the United States of America um, as a country. So, obviously, the Hessians, that didn't really work out. But um, Germany really infiltrated the British aristocracy. And I, I even think today, I think um, Queen Elizabeth is German. They aren't, they aren't like, I mean, of course, she's naturally born English, but they're all German blood. So, like I said, he joined the army on March 4th. They went to Germany for a few years for training, and they were like, you know what? We're going to invest in this kid. In 1774, he made his way to America as a lieutenant, and the Royal English Fusiliers, and was in Canada for some time. So the Royal English Fusiliers, or the 7th Foot Royal Regiment, was founded in 1685, and... I think it's over now, but this regiment went on for like 200 years, and it was this big deal. Um, The purpose of it was for escorting artillery or keeping civilian drivers in check. So oftentimes, um, if you showed up somewhere, you'd be like, hey, you, you civilian farmer, you have a wagon. Um, You're going to get, you're going to use this wagon, and you're going to help us move our guns around. Um, They wouldn't pay you, but you're obliged to do it. Kind of like the quartering act of the colonies when the British soldiers, um, prior to the war, of course, would show up at your house and say, hey, I'm living at your house now. Um, you can't say anything about it and can't kick me out, but I'm here. That was one of the issues which led to the war. Um, but, you know, they would tell the civilian drivers, hey, and then sometimes the civilian drivers, you know, they would act up, but the seven foot, Andre's, Andre's men, they would keep you in check. So during the Revolutionary War, the regiment was stated. Well, it wasn't it wasn't technically the reg the the war yet. It was it was just brewing. Um, the Boston Tea Party happened in December of seventeen seventy three. This was seventeen seventy four. Now, you know things were things were getting big. So the regiment was stationed in Montreal, Fort Chamblay, and Fort Saint John's. I believe Andre was at Fort Saint John's. He was. I'm right. My notes. My notes. Say I'm right. But um, he was there with, with the 7th foot. So when the Americans invaded Canada in November 1775, as part of the Canadian campaign, most of the regiment, including Andre, was forced to surrender. It was 80 Brits against 400 Americans. And the difference between the British and the Americans in the early stages of war was that the British were trained. They were military men. These were men who enlisted in the military um, most, mostly willingly. These are men who had, who had nice uniforms, who had money, who were being paid to be in the military. The Americans were not being paid. They did not really have a uniform until a little bit later in the war. They wore basically whatever they had. Um, they weren't trained. They, it was basically like, oh, you know how to shoot a gun? Okay, we'll let, we'll let you join. Even if you don't know how to shoot a gun. We'll let you join too. The Americans were looking for anybody who would fight with them. Um, and the British were a lot more trained. But you got these 400 redneck Americans saying, hey, we want to take your fort. The British lost. The, American won that, the Americans won that battle. Andrews at Fort St. John's, he was captured by General Richard, Richard Montgomery and was held as a prisoner in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So, when I was doing my research about this, I guess what happened was it was a custom at the time to be treated well and kept entertained if you were an officer who was a prisoner of war. 
So, at this point, I believe he was still, what, the lieutenant colonel? No, he was just lieutenant. He was a lieutenant in the military, and they're like, you're an officer, we're gonna entertain you. He was treated to dinners. One of the dinners, in particular, was at the home of Joshua Hett Smith's brother-in-law. Joshua Hett Smith's gonna come up later in the story. He was a loyalist sympathizer. Um, both men were present. Um, like I said, it'll be of importance later. But he went down to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Lancaster is right next to Philly. Philly, um, was a big center focus of the war. But in Lancaster, the enlisted POWs were kept in barracks, but officers like Andre were housed either on local inns on their own dime or at houses of a local family. So Andre, he, he wasn't going to be paying. He resided with Caleb Cope and his family. So the Cope family and Andre became rather good friends. And Andre gave art lessons to their eldest son, and he became pretty popular and well-respected in Lancaster due to his fluency in German. In Lancaster, um, if you've ever heard of Pennsylvania Dutch, that's not mean. It doesn't mean they're Dutch. It's Pennsylvania Deutsch. Deutschland is the German word for Germany. And so when they came over here, they're like, "Oh, where are you from?" They're like, "We're Deutsch." People are like, "Oh, you're Dutch." They're like, "No, we're Deutsch." Deutsch is German. They're Pennsylvania German. They speak German. The Amish, they're German. Just to clear that up for you. So they spoke German. They did not speak Dutch. They spoke German. And this is what. Andre spoke German with them. You know, he was in Germany for training. He went to school in Geneva. He had that connection with them. And so they loved him. They're like, oh my gosh, it's one of our, it's one of our, it's one of our people. And so he fit in really well there. And he really liked it there. I think if Andre would have had it his way, he probably would have stayed longer. But no. In December of 1776, he was granted freedom from his American captors through a prisoner exchange. This is popular to, um, including today prisoner exchanges they usually are a good compromise but then in january of 1777 he was promoted to captain of the 26th foot regiment um so at this point how was the commander-in-chief of the american of the british in america you know how he was and how thought that they were going to win the war quick and he would go home how did not anticipate this war going on until 1783 I'll get to that in a minute, but he was sent to General Howe in New York City, where he was spending the winter. It was customary at this time for the soldiers not to fight during the winter. You would usually just camp out during the winter, and, you know, George Washington, he would gather his plans for what he wanted to do that summer and what he wanted to capture, and same with Howe. Um, but, of course, this, the winter crossing the Delaware, that did happen. Washington... He did break that rule of war. However, it did it did work out for the Americans. Um, but General Howe was wintering in New York City, and Andre had written a memoir of his observations of the colonies while at POW, and he presented the book to Howe. He's like, yo, I um, am really talented, and just in my free time, I wrote a book. Like, what I saw. I wasn't able to find the name of the book, but I'm sure if you do your own digging... You'll find that out. Maybe I'll post that on Instagram. I don't know. I'll probably forget. But um, Hal was really impressed with this. He's like, you wrote a book. You speak all these languages. You're so talented. And so he appointed him. He was the one who appointed him as captain of the 26th foot. And an aide to Major General Charles Gray. So in August 1777, 
under the leadership of Gray, he was among the 17,000 British soldiers who landed in Maryland, which led to the occupation of Philadelphia. Like I said, Philadelphia was very, um, very, very important to get, to gain, um, when you wanted, you wanted three cities during the Revolutionary War. That was Philadelphia, New York City, and Boston. If you had all three, you were golden. Um, and that was, this, that's what we're going to lead to in a minute. They really want, the British wanted to annex, to annex, um, New England uh, off from all the colonies, cut it off, they wanted full control. And if they had full control of New England, the rest of the colonies would not be able to survive because New England um, was truly where all the all of the um, important supplies and important um, intelligence is coming from. The culver ring, but um, like I said, he was he was in Maryland, which led to the occupation of Philadelphia. He was also present at the Battle of Germantown, the British occupation of Philly, and the Battle of Monmouth. So Andre became a favorite among society circles and occupied New York City and Philly. When you weren't fighting, the British generals were having a blast. You know, they were eating good food, they were drinking, they were just, they were laughing, they were telling stories of of Britain. The Americans, not so much. Usually what would happen is... Like, Martha Washington would show up in the winter, and, like, she would bake cakes for the officers, and that was, like, the best thing they would get. The men, like, usually had no clothes and were starving, and their food was full of maggots. But, like, you know, the Americans won in the end. But um, Andre's talents became very utilized during these occupations. His talents of language and painting and writing plays and poetry... It was beloved. Andre was like, they were like, whoa, this guy's pretty cool. We like him. So while the Brits loved and occupied Philly, Washington and his soldiers suffered from hunger, cold, lack of resources, and Valley Forge, which is really not that far from Philly. I think you can do, you can do it all in a day. I think it might be like 30 miles north. But I may have mentioned this in my culpering episode. It wasn't last episode. It was probably the culpering episode. What was happening is that this, the... um. The farmers in that area of Pennsylvania were being given gold by the British. The British would say, hey, we want your food. We'll give you gold. The Americans did not have gold. Instead, they had American paper money, Continental Congress printed paper money, which was worth absolutely nothing. And they said, hey, we want your food too. We'll pay you with paper money. If I was a farmer, I would be getting the gold for I would be giving my food to the British. I wouldn't care. Um, many of them weren't loyalist sympathizers, but at that point, you really just needed money to survive, and so they did um, usually sell their food to the British. So the British had, they had control of the farmers. Washington was really at a loss. Washington was really struggling during the winters at Valley Forge. He, it was It was a really hard time. For the whole army and many men wanted to quit but nope they didn't and they won um but while the brits were living it up clinton became commander-in-chief of the british army general george clinton so andre was clinton's letter writer and corresponder how at this point returned to england clinton became general-in-chief and andre was clinton's favorite they were besties um, how was like, hey, Clinton, 
This one, boy, Andre. You keep him, you keep him good, right? Hmm. Wonder how that worked out for you, Quentin. Andre wrote, wrote poetry for Tory women. Reminder, he's about 28 at this point. Unwed. And at this time, he met Peggy Shippen. And so, people assume that him and Peggy probably had a relationship. Nothing is said for certain. However, um, Peggy was just about to marry Bennett Arnold. She was a wealthy young, she was a wealthy young Tory. Um, you know, she, 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 she had a lot going for her. Andre, he had a lot going for him. He could speak all these languages. I mean, he was pretty attractive. He was young. He was, he was interesting. So Peggy, um, you know, she first struck up this friendship with Andre, which led to some collusion. Fun fact, while in Philly, Andre occupied the house of Ben Franklin. Good old Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, if you don't know who he is, I want you to turn off the podcast right now and, like, go Google him. Because you need to know who Ben Franklin is. If you don't, I'm I'm really sad. Anyways, he occupied the house of Ben Franklin in Philadelphia. And while they were, when they were leaving Philly, so when the British were finally clearing out, Clinton told him, loot the house. He looted the house. He got, he, most notably, he stole the oil portrait of Franklin. um, And it was given to, I believe, General Gray. And General Gray sent that back to England. His, his, um, descendants actually returned it. And I want to say 1906. And it now hangs in the White House. But he looted some scientific things that Ben had made, letters, um, silver, candlesticks. He looted the house and a friend came in. I don't, I don't believe, I believe he was just a civilian of Philadelphia. And he was like, Andre, what are you doing? And Andre wouldn't give him a direct answer. Historians have later said Andre didn't really want to loot. He was given orders to loot. Andre is power hungry. And so when you're given an order by General Clinton, you do what General Clinton says because he wanted to be General Clinton. Mm. But in November 1778, he was promoted to major and the Brits were leaving Philly. This is where the story gets a little bit interessante if you speak Spanish. Um, For my English listeners, that is interesting. So, yeah. The Benedict Arnold plot. So, like I said, we're going to get into Benedict Arnold and all of his stuff next week. Because his story, um, it's a little bit more wild. But Benedict Arnold, basically, he was an American general. He was growing disillusioned with the Continental Congress. Many people were very upset with the Continental Congress in America because um, basically what happened is they wrote the Declaration of Independence and they declared themselves free and then they had to, like, build a country overnight. And that's very hard to, like, do that. I don't... Like, that's... That's very hard. To be like, okay, we're a country now. Wait. That's hard. They also had no money. Um, New England was severely cut off from the rest of the colonies. And so it was hard to get the money from there. Because Boston was basically the hotspot of where all the money was. Um, and the Continental Congress was just... It wasn't everybody's friend. People were mad at it. And Benedict was one of those people. 
We're going to get to him in a minute, though. Actually, next episode. But he will be coming up in this episode, of course. But in 1779, Andre became a junctant... I, I think that's how you say it. I, I can't speak. A general of the British Army in America. With the, with the rank of America? With the rank of Major, sorry. My notes are a little bit dyslexic. But in April, he took charge of the British Secret Service in America. So he was a Major. He was basically... Um, the under general to Clinton, like an under butler, the undersecretary, as they say in Britain. That was funny if you understood that. But um, he was like basically assistant general. Um, in the in the modern American military today, it's called brigadier general. So he was brigadier general. But he took charge of the British Secret Service, just like our boy on the American lines, Benny Talmadge did. Benjamin! Benjamin's coming up in this episode. I'm super excited for it. I know you are too. We love Benjamin Talmadge. Every single episode, our boy, he comes up. He makes it poppin'. We love him. We love Benjamin Talmadge. Total hero. But he was in charge of the British Secret Service, and he was like, let me know what I can do here. So Andre's friendship with George Clinton... Not George... Was it George Clinton? Yes, his name was George Clinton. With General George Clinton was becoming increasingly important as he got more and more power. Andre got power through Clinton. Clinton was also the king, basically, um, for the army. He was commander-in-chief. What I think is funny is that the British went through, like, multiple commander-in-chiefs throughout the war. They had Howe. They had Clinton. I believe also Cornwallis became commander-in-chief. But George Washington, he stood resolute throughout the war. Um, He was always commander-in-chief for the Americans. He eventually became a first president, always remember. But Clinton was always aware of the importance of the American position at West Point. So when you think of West Point today, it is a college in West Point, New York, but West Point is also a fort. It was a very important fort during the um, um, American Revolution, and this is we're going to tell you about it right now. So Clinton, he was aware of the importance of the American position at West Point, and he understood that if he took West Point, he would have captured the Hudson River. When he captured the Hudson River, Washington would be forced to New Jersey. This would cut off New England from the rest of the colonies. Britain would have the upper hand, and basically, Britain would have probably won if they had captured West Point. So in April of 1779, Andre began corresponding with American General Benedict Arnold. Arnold was pretty close friends with George Washington, and that's what hurt GW the most. But Arnold had grown disillusioned of the American cause, and decided to betray his co-patriots. It's also worth noting that Arnold was the commander of West Point now. Um, so he was kind of making the shots up there. And his shot was, yeah, sorry, I want this to be British. So you can't trust him. And remember, once a traitor, always a traitor. That's what kind of happened to Benedict after the war. We're going to get into that much more next episode. But in May of 1779, Arnold made his offer to Andre. Arnold offered to surrender West Point to the Brits for a fee of 10,000 pounds. So 10,000 pounds in 1779 is about 1.7 million pounds today, or about 2.1 million US dollars. He was going to make bank. And so then they kind of got into this, you know, this whole like back and forth. And there was a little bit of a stagnant conversation. Didn't really go anywhere. Um... Arnold wanted 10k may it be a success or a failure General Clinton 
Clinton is saying we better be a success, Andre. You know what I mean? Um, so about a year went by, not much liberation had happened, nothing had really happened with the whole taking West Point effort because Clinton was focused on his attention in South Carolina, um, of course with Charleston. Um, he 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 really wanted that stuff. But Arnold wasn't done. Arnold did not forget. Clinton may have forgot, but Arnold did not. In May of 1780, about a year after the first initial offer, Arnold reinitiated the contact, and he alerted Andre that Rochambeau's French soldiers were making their way to Newport, Rhode Island. Rochambeau, I believe he was brought up, I want to say in the, I, I believe in the first episode when I was good in the background, as well as the second episode. Rochambeau, he was, him and Lafayette were like the French officers who were coming over to aid the Americans. Um, Newport, Rhode Island, you'll remember that from our first season, back when Consuelo was living there with Alva. Gosh, hate her. But Rochambeau, you know, he was coming over with the French, and he was going to take Newport. So, Andre told Clinton, he was like, yo, I just got some news from Arnold, or from our friend Arnold at West Point. Um, Rochambeau is showing up, we need to get going. So Clinton was like, snap, you're right. Clinton returned to New York City to prepare for the French attack. He was like, yo, Cornwallis, you good down here? So Cornwallis, you know, he he was he was now in charge down south. Um, Clinton, he went back up north and he was getting ready, right? So in July, Arnold reached out again, reached out again. And he went, hey, I want to up the price. I don't want $10,000 anymore, no. I want $20,000. So he had waited a year. He was growing restless. He wanted to commit treason. He wanted to betray the Americans. And so he was like, I want twenty k, 20,000 pounds in 1780 is about, about 3.6 million pounds today, or 4.4 million U.S. dollars. He basically doubled. Well, he, he actually did double. I'm that dumb. But he doubled what he wanted. Um... And he was going, if he had, if this deal, I don't, did he get his money? I don't know. I didn't get into that yet. Maybe, I'll see you next episode. But if he did get the money, that's a good payday. So Andre was like, you know what, dude, let me just meet with you. Because at this point, they'd only been a letter correspondence. They'd never actually met face to face. So Andre was like, fine, we'll do it. We'll do the deal. So he went up to the Hudson River on a small British sailing ship on September 20th to visit Arnold. So, his sailing ship was called the Vulture. It was a little ship. He went up alone. He rode up the Hudson. Andre met with Arnold that night, and Arnold was like, hey, here's a map of West Point. And he also gave him some notes from Washington's War Council meeting on September 6th, which was imperative to know, like, what Washington was doing, what he was thinking. Arnold straight up, like, if this plan had worked... Arnold, I think he is still very hated in America. Like, if you like, oh, Benedict Arnold, people are like, oh, Benedict. Like, goodness gracious. I don't, even, I don't even know anybody named Benedict. That's because of you, Benny. But, um, so Arnold had Andre spend the night at the house of Joshua Head Smith. Told you he'd come back up. Our loyalist sympathizer friend. Actually, he ain't our friend. We believe in the American cause. That's right. So Joshua had Smith, he was back. Arnold had Andre spend the night there. 
And while Andre was at Smith's house, his ship was shot up by Americans. Some Americans in the area were like, hold up. What's he really doing here? They didn't really trust it. And that was Andre's way of traveling back to Clinton. And now he did not have that option. So Arnold gave Andre an American passport where he would be traveling under the name of John Anderson. And he also gave him some civilian clothes because I believe he was wearing his British uniform. I don't really know how that makes sense, but he was. So he got some clothes and he was going to have to travel through enemy lines to get back to the city. Which ain't good. That's frightening, okay? Here's where it all goes south. Very quickly. So, while traveling back on September 23rd, Andre was stopped by these three guys. And so Andre was under the impression, um, because one of them was wearing a Hessian overcoat. Like we went over earlier, the Hessians were the allies of the British. Um, They came over to America. And so he's like, hello, my friends. Um, And he was like, hey, guys, can you please move? Because I'm a British officer. You know, he's cool. How you guys doing? He referred to them as his own kind. And he was like, don't, don't detain me. I'm you. I am, I am one of you. Um, however, these were not Hessians. No, they were actually New York militiamen. Continental militiamen. They were Americans. And they were like, dude, we ain't Hessians. We ain't who you think we are. They had probably just stolen the coat. That's what they did a lot back then. If you came across something, the Americans had no uniforms. They were like, hey, we'll use this Hessian coat. It'll be fun. So it was. It, these were Continentals, and they searched him and questioned him, and they found the passport from Arnold on it, on him, and they found the map of West Point. And once they found the map of West Point, they were like, "Okay, what's going on here?" Because when they first found the passport, they weren't really like sure. They were like, "Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe Arnold's, maybe it's like a forgery." It wasn't, and they found the they found the map of West Point. They were like, "Okay, no go." So the militiamen took him to Lieutenant Lieutenant Colonel John Jameson. So Jameson was like, okay, this is this is a little bit suspicious. What if we send him to Benedict Arnold? If if Jameson had sent Arnold, I'm I'm sorry, if he had sent Andre to Arnold, the plan would have worked out. Jameson was thinking against his better judgment here. Um, if he had known any evidence, right? But he did not. He under his under his um in his mind, the plausible thing would to be to send it to Arnold's. Arnold's was um, an authority over him. So he thought to do that. Um, but he did not know that Arnold was a traitor yet. But here's where it gets fun, y'all. Major Benjamin Talmadge, he rides up. He's like, hold up, Jameson. The culpering intercepted. And the culpering found out. That Arnold was a traitor and that Andre was helping him out. So the culpering alerted Talmadge and Talmadge rode up there. Okay, he was going like, he was like, hold up. Andre's not who he says he is. Andre is a spy and Arnold is a traitor. Thank you, culpering. See, the culpering really coming in in clutch here, you know what I mean? So the papers found on Andre were sent to Washington However, GW was already on his way to make a surprise visit to Arnold. He wanted to, like, go check in. You know, him and Arnold were BFFs. 
That was on Washington's end. Arnold obviously thought differently. Washington, however, received the papers once he got to the Arnold residence. So when he showed up, first he went to Arnold's house, and Arnold wasn't there. So he went to West Point. Arnold wasn't there, and he's like, okay, let's go back to the house. I'm like, well, wait. They're like, GW, look what we found. And GW is like, snap, holds up. Wait. So, Washington, you know, he kind of looked at it, and it became clear to him that the American cause had been betrayed. He had been Judas, if, if you understand that reference. Um, Washington ordered Arnold's arrest, but Arnold was actually already in the safety of British lines. The same day that Washington was going to West Point was the same day the British were supposed to actually make their attack on West Point. Of course, Arnold told them, just wait, I don't know what's going on right now. So, of course, they did not actually attack West Point. That whole plan was foiled. But, um, Washington, he was, he was, he was mad. You know what I mean? So, Washington, he said, Arnold, I want you arrested. Arnold was already in New York City. He was like, aha, too late. Um, as for Under's case, Washington organized a jury of 14 military generals to examine the case. This was a little bit different than Hale, Nathan Hale from last episode. Nathan was just cross-examined. They're like, yep, yeah, we're gonna hang you. Washington really believed in justice, law and order. And so we had a jury assembled, and the jury looked at the papers. Of course, they had a bias against British, but it was still an effort. The jury decided after questioning, they did question him. So on December 29th, September 29th, 1780, they said, Andre, we want you to be executed as a spy. The crime for spying at this point was hanging Andre did not want to be hung so he requested to be shot by a firing squad as a courtesy he was like courtesy of war can I be shot GW was like no man you can't you can't be shot we are going to hang you um Andre was kind of sad because he was 30 years old he had left his home home country for this America, he, you know, he really didn't even want to be a spy. But this is where life took Andre, okay? So Andre was held a prisoner for about a week before his execution, and he was, like, talking with Talmadge. You know, Talmadge wanted to, like, get some information. He wanted to see where what was really going on. And Andre was really concerned with, like, how he was going to die. And so Andre was interested to know how he would be killed, like I said. And Talmadge... Oh, snap, he's back. Talmadge was a classmate and friend of Nathan Hale. Remember, we talked about Nathan's death last episode. Talmadge told Andre um, what he thought of the situation. He thought it would end the same, saying, Yes, precisely similar, and similar shall be your fate. Oh, Benjamin, always so thoughtful. But Clinton fought to get Andre back, as Andre was his favorite. Um, but refused to surrender Andre. I'm sorry, I messed that up. So Clint, he wanted Andre back, but he wouldn't surrender Arnold. He didn't like Arnold. Um, partially because, like, you can't trust a traitor. But he wasn't gonna give, he wasn't gonna give Arnold back. He was like, no, but we'll help you out. No matter how much I, no matter how much I hate you, I'll keep you safe. Andre, it's not gonna work out for you. I'm sorry. Whatever. Um, 
really sad. So Andre was hung in Tappan, New York on October 2nd, 1780 at 30 years of age. The prisoner exchange failed. His request for a firing squad failed. He was hung on October 7th. 7th, no, October 2nd, sorry, 1780. He was 30. According to an eyewitness, Andre put the noose around his own neck. I believe he wanted this to be over with. Alexander Hamilton wrote of the event saying, Never perhaps did any man suffer death with more justice or deserve it less. I think the Americans were conflicted over Andre because it was really Benedict who should have been killed, but Andre was taking the fall for Benedict. Um, I also think it was like a it was like to get back at killing Nathan Hale because once Nathan Hale was killed, that was when GW made that whole change to um, Revolutionary War Spying and he said, okay, we're going to up our game. Culpering, where you at? Culpering came out of the shadows. Um, that's He really learned a lot from Nathan's death. And I think the British learned a lot too. They learned a lot about treason. But he died. It's really sad. Andre was hung. I think what's interesting about this episode is that it's taking from the it's it's a British story. It's not an American story. It's a British officer who was hung. It's the British um side of Benedict Arnold's story. I think so often we focus on Benedict's story and how what happened to him, but we don't focus on John Andre. And so when I was googling him, I'm like, oh, he's really cool. This is a cool guy, and that's John Andre for you. Aftermath. So Joshua Headsmith, you remember him, he was put on trial because of his connection to the case, and they were like, wait, Joshua, what you doing? Because Joshua actually tried to help Andre escape. Um, he also housed Andre. Um, but his case was acquitted because of lack of evidence. Unfortunately. Um, a pension was awarded to Arnold's mother and three sisters not long after his death. So... You know, his big insecurity throughout life was, how am I going to provide for my family? And the British were like, you know what? We're going to do that for you. I'm sure this was probably General Clinton's doing, because him and Clinton were very, very close. I'm sure Andre probably told Clinton, like, hey, this is my predicament. Can you help me out? And Clinton was like, yeah, man, I got you. His remains were moved to England and placed at Westminster Abbey. Um, Fitting. I'm sure, like, I'm not English, if you if you can't tell. <laughs> but I, I would always love to know, like, how is he viewed in England? How is John Andre viewed? Is he, is he viewed as this hero, or is he viewed as in a bad light? Obviously a hero if he was buried at Westminster Abbey, but I've always liked to know that. The New York militiamen who captured him, um, and were the ones who foiled this whole plot, we're given a pension of $200 a year. I didn't convert that to American money. However, I'm sure it was probably like, it's probably thousands of dollars today. But they were given a pension of $200 a year each. And the silver medal is a thank you from the U.S. Congress. Um, I believe they also had like a Memorial Day or something for them. I forget now because I'm blanking. But after the event, Washington, our good old, our good old friend GW, wrote of him saying... He was more unfortunate than a criminal. He also said, an accomplished man and a gallant officer. 
Andre was wild, wildly um, respected. He he died a really unfortunate death. I, I do feel bad for him because Andre didn't want to die that way. I really don't think that GW wanted him to die that way either. So that's that's John Andre's story. That's his part of this betrayal of the Americans. Next episode, we're going to get into Benedict Arnold's. What happened to him? Remember, um, Wednesday on the blog is going to be about Old North Bridge. Go check that out. It's going to be a good going to be a good blog post. If you haven't already seen Caleb Brewster and Abraham Woodhall, go check that one out too. You're going to like it. Um, but I thank you all. I thank you all so very much for listening to this episode. I'm Abigail, and this is the History Attic podcast. Thank you.